I want to thank the Lord. Uh, we're going on, I believe it's our sixth year, but fifth year pastor in this amazing church. And um, I remember when we first said yes to the opportunity, I did not know it was going to be such a tremendous blessing that I was going to have so much fun just loving on people, believing God's best for people. And uh, God knows exactly what he's doing. And I was sharing with someone today, and again, you may hear this over and over again, but when God has done something great in your life, never allow pride to prevent you from declaring it over and over again. God's, God's involvement in your life or God's work in your life is never meant to get stale. It is always a reminder of his goodness, his grace, his favor, his love. And one of the great things is that it gives you a foundation to know if he did it then, he can still do it now. And so, again, when I say this over and over again, I'm reminded of myself, and I'm reminded of the enemy. He can't stop what God has ordained. And so I appreciate you being the platform and being the people that I can share it over and over again with because it reminds myself of God's goodness. And every now and then, you have to remind yourself of God's goodness. The Bible declares that David came back to a situation that just wasn't favorable. He'd been out running for his life. Saul was after him. He was answering the call of God on his life. And I'm here to tell you, for those who are listening in person, those online, the moment you embrace the call of God on your life, the enemy is going to be in relentless pursuit to try to mess with you. And you must have moments of miracles that you remember. So David gets to a place now where his family is taken and everybody else's family is taken as well. And the Bible said that David encouraged himself in the Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord. And so when you share about God's goodness, what you're doing is not being repetitious. What you're doing is you're reminding your soul to be strengthened in the things of God. And every now and then you need to do that. And so I think about God and how he works and what he's doing. Only God, only God can take a young man at the time in my 20s, early 30s, and tell me to get on a Greyhound bus and come all the way to a city where he had his hands on. He said, my hand is on the city of Marion. It's 20 years ago. 20 years ago, he says, my hand is on the city and has never moved. And so when I see the fulfillment, no matter where I went, no matter what I did, in faithfulness and obedience to the Lord, that's the key. I'm going to get to my text because really we need to talk about courageous commitment, what that looks like. It's courageous commitment. And so when I think about all the places that fear brought me, come on, that insecurities brought me. All the places where I was trying to do God's will in some of those places was my choice. But God was so committed courageously to keep me. And so to find out that at the end of it, the climax of it, and back in the same city he started, I got to give God praise and glory. That God didn't forget his promise. Come on, God did not forget me. God has not forgotten you. Someone needs to know that this morning. God has not forgotten his promise to you. God has not forgotten his promise to you. He is faithful to keep his promise. But we got to trust him and we got to strengthen ourselves. And that's why we hear the word of the Lord. 
That's why you gather. It's to be strengthened, to be part of a fellowship, to be part of a group so that you can be reminded how good God really is. Courageous commitment. To love like Christ is a courageous commitment. Let's go to John chapter 13 where we were last week. John chapter 13. We're going to read verse 34. And then I want you to go to Matthew 22 verse 39. And we're going to see the heart of God for what he's doing, I believe, in this season, in this time. God is speaking to his church. He's not speaking to the culture yet. He's speaking to the church. In this season, God is talking to his church. He wants to get his house in order. Remember, Jesus, loving Jesus, was the one that threw the tables over and made the whip of cords. And bam, bam. That's love, by the way. (laughs) That's a courageous commitment to do what the Father tells him to do. So love requires a courageous commitment. And so here it is now that in John 13, we see Jesus having an intimate moment with the church. Jesus is there. And in verse uh, 34, he goes on and he says this. um, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Now let's go to Matthew 22, verse 39, because he expounds on this. Because this is John's account of Jesus really revealing courageous commitment. And so in Matthew 22, uh, interesting account, because in verse 34 it begins and it says this. In Matthew 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. So he got two groups of religious mindset. You got the Pharisees and you have the Sadducees. They're all part of the Sanhedrin council. So get the picture of who is actually coming to Jesus now. And so they come to him, and they gather together. So they were having church. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. So this question was not being asked because they wanted to grow in their faith. This question was asked to see if they could trap Jesus in who he said he was. That if he would have said something contrary to Moses, they would have justification for their action. See, they were courageous in their belief. (laughs) And what we see out in the world are people who are courageous and they're committed to their cause. You can't talk them out of it. They will fight you tooth and nail to say this is a commitment I've made and I'm going to stick with it. And so here they are committed to saying we must trap Jesus, two opposing enemies, two opposing philosophies, two opposing ways of looking at things, Jesus brought them together. And what brought them together was their hatred for who Jesus was and who he said he was and what he was doing. When you are courageously committed to the cause, Jesus is going to mess with your mind. He's going to mess with your mind because he wants you to have the mind of Christ. He doesn't want you to go and try to trap people. Come on. He doesn't want you to be known as, I'm going to trap you, I'm going to manipulate you. He goes, no, not my people. No, the people who follow me, we don't manipulate. We, we don't trap people like that. We don't do that. We are courageously committed to love like Christ. And so he goes on and he says, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He tells him from Deuteronomy. He reminds him of the, of the second 
law or, or the second time the law was given. And they're like, okay, so he didn't vary from what Moses says. He says, this is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor. And that's great. And here is where we're going to land because this is the transition. This is where the, cur- the courage is needed. It's right here. It says this, that you should love your neighbor. He quotes Leviticus. And now he says, as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the laws and the prophets. So before we can actually uh, enter into whatever God has for us, he's saying that it's vital and it's, it's important that we are courageous in our commitment, not just to live like Christ, but to love like Christ. Mm-hmm. A lot of people want to live like Christ. But to love like Christ requires courageous commitment. Are there any courageous people in the house today? Are you willing to do what God is telling you to do right now? Mm, that's for somebody right there. I'm going to pause right there. The Spirit is asking, are you willing to be courageous and to be committed to what I've called you to do? Not for the sake of the world, but for the sake of Christ. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying and he says, Lord, let them be one that the world may know that I'm authentic. And so our ability to be courageous in our commitment to love like Christ and to love one another as ourselves is vital to the church thriving and being a great influence in the culture. It's important that we see this. So let's pray. Father, in Jesus name, help us to be courageous in our commitment. And we thank you for all that you're doing. Honor your word, Lord. Give me the strength that I need to deliver this word as you have given it to me. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things about preaching is that I have a vision of how it's going to turn out, and it never does. Because God wants to remind me that he's in control, that I'm not. He wants to remind me that he's in control, that I'm not in control. How many of you realize that? That you're not in control. Come on. (laughs) We are not in control. But it doesn't mean that we are powerless. Because we have a choice. And so I see it coming out and I see it and I see the response and it's great. But I have to get to a place where I understand that I have to trust God. I have to trust God that... He knows exactly what he is doing. And so part of that is because in what God has given me for the church, for TGP specifically, but for the church corporately, what he's telling me is this, is that, Ro, um, my church needs my strength in order to love. They need it. He said, for five years, you've taught this church how to do life together. And I share with you about the table. He says, the table is where we must come together. He says, but once we get to the table, you need the strength to love one another. You need the strength first to love me, and then you need the strength to love one another. And so he says, stay on this. And so for the benefit, for those who perhaps have not been here, for the benefit of those watching online, or for the benefit of those who have been here, let me give you just a quick reminder of how we got to courageous commitment. 
we first began in 1 John chapter 3, and we realized that the first thing we must understand to be courageous in our commitment is that we must understand, first and foremost, we are loved by God. We must understand that. You cannot do any relationship correctly, completely, or deeply without understanding that you must know that you are loved by God. This is where it starts. It's clear throughout the writing of John that you are loved by God. In John chapter 13, the scripture that we read, Jesus, the Bible says he loved his disciples until the end. The Bible says he loved them completely, that he held nothing back from them, that he served them with a mindset of giving them everything. To live like that, to give of yourself like that, takes courageous commitment. To run the risk of being hurt, because if we read on in this chapter, we notice that Judas was there when he said it. It wasn't like Judas left and then he said it. He says, no, in the midst of Judas, in the midst of the enemy, he makes this statement, I loved you till the end. He loved them because he knew where he came from, and he loved them because he knew where he was going. He says, I came from the Father. I did the Father's will. Now I'm going back to the Father. And if you and I are going to love like Christ, we have to understand where we come from. We must understand that God is the one that brought you here. And so we must understand that we are first and foremost loved by God. And I know this is dangerous for some people because you think I'm giving you license. No, I'm actually giving you liberty. I'm actually presenting freedom to you. The fact that you are loved by God is not license to live contrary to God's will. It is actually freedom to live in honor and reverence and respect to God Almighty. It is not, it is not license at all. No, that's not what God is saying. So we gotta let people know, quit putting them in bondage, tell them they're loved by God, and you have the courageous commitment to know that God is gonna work in their lives. And so Jesus says it. With Judas there. They had a meal together. They're at the table. And the strength to love decided to do this. Decided to get up from the table. To take a towel. To wrap it around his waist. And to wash their feet. To love like Christ. That's, that's what we're talking about, right? And so they got to the table. Judas and everybody. Matthew, who Peter would have hated. And Peter, who Matthew would have hated. And so they're all together. What an amazing church that Jesus was pastoring. It was a diverse church. Come on. Come on. With different backgrounds, experiences, but the common denominator was Jesus. And he says, I can't leave them to love on their own. And so he gets up from the table and he wraps the towel around them and he washes their feet and he does everything. He washes Peter's feet and Judas' feet and John. He washes all their feet and he puts the towel back down and he says, what I've done to you, now you do it to each other. So before there's any miracles, before there's any sort of miraculous things, he says, that's the greatest miracle right there. It's to break through mindsets, to break through experiences, and to love. That takes courageous commitment, doesn't it? And he says that of the church. Not the government, of the church. Not of the club, but the church. Not any other institution, but the church. Not their academia, no, the church. He says, the church, you must do this if you want to see my power move in your life. This is so good. And so what happens is this, just like how Peter struggled with it, what happens, and I quote Graham Cook, he says, we often struggle to love ourselves and others well, and the reason for that is because we don't understand the love of God. We haven't fully embraced that God loves us. 
And so what happens is this. I told you that, that the message that we're talking about is loved by God, loved by Christ. And now we're seeing what says, do you love God? So we're loved by God. Didn't ask you if you want to be loved. He just loved you. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't even ask you. He goes, I'm going to love you regardless of how you treat me. I'm going to love you. And if that's not enough, I'm going to send Christ to love you as well. Even in the midst of Judas in the camp. I'm going to love you as well. And now we get to this place of saying, if you now love me, love like me then. He now says, I've taken the first move. I've made the, I've made the first move. And what he's saying now is, if you love me, do you have to do this? And here's what he's warning people. He says, listen, we're going to get to this. He says, but there is a line that is drawn right here. And he says that you are so close to hate and to love. He says, the moment you get saved, because you were over here before, away from God, now you get saved and you're right here. And so what the enemy wants for you is to stay right here. He doesn't want you to move to the things of God. He wants you to stay right here. You're just close enough over the edge. You're not there yet, but you're just close enough to be right here. And what Jesus is saying to the body of Christ, what he's saying to us is this, is that when you stay right there, you will not embrace the love of God. You will not embrace the love of Christ. Well, what happened is that you will be confused and conflicted. Because what will happen is that the enemy will tell you, whisper in your ear, I, you, you need to hate yourself. So the enemy will whisper, you need to hate yourself, so you step back over here. Or you hear from the religious group, you need to love yourself. And so now you're confused. Which one is it? Do I hate myself or do I love myself? And what he wants you to understand is neither one of those. When you read the text, what Jesus was talking about, he says, you must love your neighbor as yourself. All throughout the week, I've been saying, God, I must do a message about self-love. He goes, no. Don't bring that message into this. There is a message about how God you treat your temple. There is about valuing who you are, and we're going to get to it in later messages. But what he's saying is, no, do not confuse this 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 hate and this love. Keep it simple. I'm like, okay, God. So I kept highlighting and cutting it out and moving it out. He's saying, what we must understand is this, is that there's a battle between the voice saying, I hate myself, and there's also a battle with saying, I love myself. So you have the devil and you have the culture fighting against us. And in this sort of environment, we come together now and you wonder why we can't love one another. Because I don't know whether it's the devil I'm listening to or I'm listening to the culture. And so we need a courageous commitment to say, what I'm going to do then is I'm going to embrace the love of God. I'm going to embrace that Christ loves me as well. And I'm going to understand that I have to widen the line between love and hate. So I have to move towards the things of God, not looking back on hate. I have to make a courageous commitment to move away from what was familiar. I got to make a courageous commitment to move away from what I've always known. I have to take the risk of being hurt and trust that God really does love me. And that for so many people is absolutely life-changing. God, are you sure if I move away from what's familiar that you're going to replace it with something better? That's the question. It's not whether or not God you can do it. It's will it be better? It's back to the garden again. You see what I'm saying? That God has robbed something from you. That God has kept the best thing back from you. 
And so Adam and Eve were saying, okay, well, God, it seems to me, the enemies tell me that there's something better that, that, that you held back from me. So therefore, I'm going to take it. And the enemy is going to continue to challenge us between understanding the blessing and the blesser. Come on. That we must understand that even though he blesses us, that the blessing doesn't replace who he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so we have to get to this place where we move away from here and we get over to right there. And it takes a lot of courage. I'll be honest with you. To love hurts. It's taking a risk of being hurt. I think everyone on the side of my voice and those watching, you can all buy a T-shirt that says I was hurt by church. And have the socks. Come on. And the tie. That you've been hurt. By church. So when we read this, it, it, it is challenging what has happened to us. And let me explain to you why. Because we don't understand what love really is. So can I take liberty today under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and break down once and for all prayerfully that you're going to move away from hate and live in the presence of a God who loves you, who cares for you, has a purpose for your life, wants to bless your socks off, wants to give you so many things. God has so much stuff in store for us. God, I wish someone would praise God for what he has for us. God has so much stuff. So much stuff that's so much better than the enemy. The enemy is a liar. He's a counterfeit. He is. And one of the greatest things that we see is this. Is that what has to happen. What has to happen is that the people who are blocking your flow, God will remove. Come on. Mm. You won't remove them. God will remove them. Because he told you, be courageous in your commitment to love. And so God is saying, remember now, you have a choice, but I'm the one in control. I remove and I bring in. And so in this situation to love like Christ, we notice that the conversation was taking place and Judas leaves the group. Judas gets up and he leaves the group. And now there's only 11. There's not 12 anymore. There's now 11. 11 chaos. In the midst of chaos, Jesus brings comfort. Oh. They're saying, where did Judas go? We're going to get to why Judas left. Because see, here's the deal. People think you love God. The reality is you don't. You don't love God based on what you think. You love God because of what you know. From the heart. It's from the heart situation. And so what happened? Judas left because he didn't. He thought he knew who Jesus was. He didn't really know who Jesus was. And if we're going to be with Christ, we have to know him as a lover and not just as a philosopher. Come on. And so you ask most people, do you love God? Of course I do. Uh, do you? But do you love God? Mm, I don't really know that. And so here it is now that Judas left because he really didn't love Christ. We're going to see what Judas loved. And the first thing about love that we have to be careful, because remember, when some people come out of your life, God took them out because they didn't really love God. And God removed them to work on them so he can come back in your life because you're going to be courageous in your commitment. Oh, God. 
Come on. We are blocking people's flow. God wants to take people out of your life, but you keep holding them back. Why? Because you don't understand what love is, right? And they abuse you, do all sorts of things to you, but you cling on to them. You hold on to them. And God's like, let them go so I can love them completely. And so we think we can do it, right? And so all of a sudden, we're holding on. God's like, no, no, no. When I take them out of your life, come on. It is never for a deficit. It's always to add to your life. Let me be clear, because I know the enemy right now is whispering to people, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? Listen to me. God was the one that removed Judas, not Jesus. God did it. And until we understand the love of God, there are what we call necessary endings in your life so you can start a new chapter. Oh, God. And you'll keep reading that chapter over and over. Over again and over again. And God said, I can't turn the page in your life because you're still reading your past. I took them out for a purpose. Why? Because you can't love them like I can love them. Don't you get so prideful to think that your love is able to win anybody. No, it's my love that can win anybody. It was my love that drew you. So he removes them from your life. God did that. Judas was gone. And now he says, let's talk. And he's talking to them. And the first thing we have to understand is this, is this concept of love your neighbor as you love yourself. The word that is used is called self-love. Write that down. Self-love. Self-love. That's the first love we're going to look at, self-love. Now, the reason why there is a battle between self-care, which is what the Bible speaks about, and self-love is because if we don't understand the love of God, what happens is this, is that we enter into a dangerous and a damaging ideology. And watch this now. We live there. So we're going to visit self-love, but you can't live there. Because if you live there, it eventually will become dangerous and damaging to your soul. And if it becomes that, then what happens is now you look inward as opposed to be outward focus. And so when you look inside, you now create an ideology, a mindset, a way of looking at things that has no room for anybody else to come and actually speak to you. Why? Because it's about self-love. Self-love. You see, this idea is, is the ability, right, to understand if I love myself on my own terms, watch this now, it will lead to happiness and well-being. And so I love myself, why? Because I know what's best for me. I know what is best for me in this season. And what the Lord is saying is this, that if you continue to live there, it is dangerous and it is damaging. And so now we're wounded. And so what happens is this. Somebody who was in self-love, God now brings it into the body of Christ. And what happens is this. Because the church doesn't know how to love well, we keep them in a place of being damaged and dangerous. And so the church has become a place that recognizes now that we have discernment. Write that down. That we can discern whether or not it is self-love or it is actually biblical love. Church, that's our responsibility. If you're going to parent, if you're going to do anything for the kingdom of God, we must have the ability to discern. Why? Because people need to know that there's someone who cares about me. And so, when we turn to self-love, 
Here is the challenge. Here is the challenge. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 and 4. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 and 4. So when I love like Christ, I can see the effects of sin. If you want to preach a message about sin and do it biblically, where people are convicted and it's not condemning, you have to first and foremost love like Christ and see the effects of sin. Not just the behavior of sin, but the effects of sin. Are you with me so far? And so Paul writes now in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 and 4, and he says, this is what it looks like when sinful self-love permeates an environment. Paul writes and says, 2 Timothy chapter 3, he begins and he says this, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of what? Difficulty. Why? For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, Proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. Am I speaking to anybody right now? He says, this is what it's going to look like in the last days. That you're going to see the categories now of sinful self-love and how the fruits of it are. He says, they're going to be heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good. Treacherous, I got more, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasures than lovers of God. What a picture was painted by Paul. And he's saying, this is the effects of sin. This is why we preach against sin. Not to hate, but so that you will not damage your soul. Oh my goodness. That's why we talk about sin. That's why the church must talk about sin. But because we don't love like Christ, we become self-righteous and our words have no effect. Because we're preaching Christ with self-love. Oh, God. The Bible says in Philippians that they were a group preaching Christ out of purity and those preaching Christ out of self-interest. And Paul says, I'm glad Christ is being preached regardless. And so what happens is because we speak God's word behind the pulpit in the pew and God is moving, you still think you're okay with God. And God wants you to know it's his word that's going forth, that God will use whoever, if he can use a donkey, to preach to a prophet. Now, if you just want to be like a donkey, go for it. I'd rather be a human, but if you just want to be a donkey and be used that way, that's fine. But I'm here to tell you that God will get his message out regardless. Why? Because God loves you. God is committed to you. God will do whatever he needs to do to draw you by his love. God will do whatever he does. He says, stay away from hate. Get over here. Preach sin, but preach the effects of sin. My God, so many people heard this story. You may have heard it before. This guy came to church and he preached about hell. And the guy left. He goes, I'm never going back to that church again. He goes, well, man, he preached, he preached about hell like he wanted me to go there. <laughs> so I'm never going back to church again. I mean, what kind of message was that? He's like preaching like, here's the door. And so all of a sudden, God worked on him. He says, I'm going to go to church again. He goes, church again, and lo and behold, they're preaching about hell. He goes, you got to be kidding me. And so at the end of the message, his wife is there. At the end of the message, he comes to the altar. He gives his heart to the Lord. And he goes, what, what happened? The guy preached about hell. He goes, yeah, the first guy preached hell like he wanted me to go there. The second guy preached hell with such love that he says, I don't want you to go there. Oh. Mm. 
I don't want you to damage your life. I, I don't want you to do that. It's not that I'm perfect. That's why I'm coming in the love of Christ. I'm trying to live like Christ, but I got to preach to you with the love of Christ. And there are people saying I'm struggling, but we still come in our sinful self-love trying to preach a message of holiness. It doesn't work that way. We must, church, listen to me. We must see the effects of sin. And Paul writes right here, and he says, this is what the difficult days are going to look like. So when we see all this thing, church, don't freak out. These are difficult days, but these are great opportunities to preach the love of God. When the days get darker, your light's supposed to shine brighter. Come on. And you're telling people, listen, this is the effects of sin. And let's stop categorizing sin. Sin is sin. Regardless of what that sin is. The church must repent to the world because of that. We must repent and tell the world, I am, I am absolutely sorry that we categorize sin. It has left a bad taste in your mouth. And so never should the church be known as lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. We should never have that. And so what happens is this. If you notice the first two things Paul said, I'm hurrying. Notice the first two things Paul said. He says, there'll be lover of self and lovers of money. Whenever you find a movement that's trying to go against God, you find those two things right there. Follow the money. The bouncing ball. Follow the money. The church doesn't follow the money, but the world does. Follow the money. Follow the money. Many companies are courageous in their commitment because of the money, not because of the message. Oh, you write that down. You think it's the message that they're committed to. No, it's the money that they're committed to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Touch their bottom line. They'll change whatever they need to change. It's the money. And we're sitting here where God is saying, you must understand the prosperity that I give so you won't be tempted to self-love because really we love money. The first two things he says is pleasure for yourself and money. That is so bad. That's why when I watch what's going on in the culture, I'm like, I don't care what they're saying. Show me the money. <laughs> and I'll show you their heart. And so as a church, we have to look at that. So that's self-love. And Paul is writing about this, and he says this. See, our thoughts, our plans, our desires all focus on our fleshly interests. Love of self. Originally good, became bad because of sin. Originally good, but became bad because of sin. So how do you know when someone is actually living in self-love, in sinful self-love? Two things, self-deception and self-hatred. Self-deception and self-hatred. They hate themselves. And so a lot of things that we're seeing going on in the world, at the core of it is they hate themselves. They don't believe they're worthy of anything. They don't believe that they deserve anything. And some, unfortunately, because of trauma that has happened to them, because a violation has caused them to be able to say, I can never be committed anymore, and I will continue to live this way. I'm telling you right now, the people that are coming into the church are people that's been wounded by the world. And they're saying, will you courageously be committed to love me back to life? Church, we got work to do. We have never been here before. We have never seen such a, a coming together of both love and hate. We have never seen it before. What are we to do right now? And 2020 was a test that I don't believe the church passed. I believe God in his grace and his mercy has given us another opportunity to get it right. To get it right. It was one of the greatest opportunities there was for the church to be the church. But because of self-interest, because followed the money and the lovers of self, we saw what happened. We were making 
crazy messages, not knowing the Messiah. And so what happens is this, when it becomes to a place, listen, right, right, listen to me, listen to me, church. Whenever we miss the opportunity to see the effects of sin, to speak to it, society will normalize it. Whenever the church misses a moment to stand consistent and to call out sin so people won't be damaged, when we miss it, society says, well, if the church is silent, we'll normalize it. If the church can't speak to it, God Almighty, then we're lost. Let's normalize so people don't get confused and chaotic because society can't function when there's chaos and confusion. So they look to others to decide what we're supposed to do. That's what we're fighting against. But behind the scenes, it's principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. Listen, the devil doesn't like anybody. I don't care if you are the biggest of sinner. He still doesn't like you. There is no one the devil likes. Even his own demons, he don't like them. Prove it. I'll prove it to you in scripture. We read 2 Chronicles chapter 20 about the battle that was taking place. And what happened was the enemies came. And what happened was this. They started fighting against each other. They start killing each other. That's how chaotic the demonic system is. Is that they fight each other. They're organized, strategic. Because the enemy is a counterfeit. The enemy will always use what God has planned. He will always use it against the church. Why? Because until we stop being self-deceived and stop hating ourselves, the enemy will have a weapon. And so if the church is silent, society will speak. Normalize it. So it doesn't become offensive anymore. Oh, God. Because then it will be accepted. And then let's see what the church will say. You missed your opportunity to speak to it. Come on. And so here is the challenge. This is where we're at. Second thing is not just self-love, sinful self-love. The second one is natural self-love. And this is where we get ourselves in trouble. Because this is where we stay. This is where we're stuck. It's called natural self-love. Let me read this quote to you. Fallen man. Ready? Fallen man is not incapable of loving. Of course they can love. So in other words, you can have two individuals who don't know Jesus, and they can still love. And you can have you, and you can still love. Even though I'm a Christian, and they're not a Christian, they can still love. Why? It's because it's natural self-love. You see, just because of the original sin that rendered men Now, against God, sinful against God, it doesn't mean that they're incapable of doing any good at all. But rather, every good they do is tainted to some degree by evil. So when you're in the natural self-love, the good that you do is still tainted by sin, even though it's not sinful self-love. It is still tainted by the aroma of sin and evil. So what people will say is this, at least it's not sinful, it must be normal. Because this feels natural. And that's what Paul wrote in Romans. Understand, he says, you left the natural things. Come on. For this, you went away from just even the fact of just being a human being. You went away from what was just natural to now step into something that was sinful. So he's telling them just general revelation of who God is should cause you to have some value and purpose. 
And so now as a society, we tell people, how do we love one another? We don't go to where I'm going to talk about the third one. And we can't go to the first one because that's just ruling society. So we go to the middle and we say, stay right here in the middle. And you need to compromise. Why? Because everybody needs love. And so people are right here and they're saying, this is what's safe because I can't go over here. No, no, no. But I can't go over there because over here requires me to be courageous. So we just stay right here in this condition. And here is the result. We fall in and out of love with people. And so one day I love you, next day I can't stand you. Next day I love you and I can't stand you. Next day we're going to get somebody else, we get this. And we're going to go like this. We're not sinful. No, we know better because we're saved, right? But you're just as saved as a person who don't know Jesus who can still love. So when we are natural self-love, people says the world is no different than the church. Because we're just right here. We're right here. Stay with me. Come on. This is good. I'm going to break. Someone's getting free. So what happens is this is when somebody is naturally loving themselves, they start with self-focus. But they must move now into self-worth. So they got to move from just focusing on self to now move into move into a place of worth. When someone finally understands I'm worth more than this. Now we got you. Oh, come on. Now you understand when you recognize that, listen, why am I living this damage? Why am I living this destructive relationship when God has better for me? Now I can't change what they're doing. Now I can only change what I believe. Oh, God. And so I thought I love God, but now I need to know that I love God. Because I have to be courageous in my commitment to love like Christ. So please understand, you must have 1 Corinthians 13 when you do this. You must have the strength of God to do this. This is not an exit clause. This is for you to walk in freedom. And it's time that we get free because we are having relationships hold us back from being all that God has for us. Because we live in and out, in and out, in and out. How am I feeling today? In and out, in. Come on, seriously. In and out, and in and out, and in. And out, and that's how we live. So we walk into church. I don't feel God today. No, next time I feel God. Let's go. I don't feel God today. Oh, I feel God this way. They didn't sing my song. Oh, and they sang my song, and they did this, and that's what church is like. And it becomes a religious circus of people who think they love God because it's natural. But when you understand that you were created by God. When you understand that God breathed his breath into you. When you understand that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. When you understand who God is in your life. You tell people, I don't need you to praise God. I'm going to praise God by myself. And you don't need someone to clap for you. You're going to clap for yourself. And you don't need someone to praise you. You're going to praise God all by yourself. When you understand your value, you tell the devil, devil, I am worth more than that. That's all you got? No, 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 no. And then you tell anybody else, listen, I'm worth more than that. I I teach what I call the measure of a man. The first thing I teach them is your worth. Your worth. Until a man knows his worth, he can never, listen to me, he can never love properly like he's supposed to love. He doesn't know his worth. On that level of responsibility, he will never, hear me, never do that. We had a prayer meeting on Friday, and 
The Spirit of God moved upon the people. That was powerful. Our prayer meeting twice a month is amazing. And so we were there, and, and um, a gentleman was there with his wife, and he started to pray for his wife. God bless her. Keep her, and thank you for bringing her to my life. I'm like, ooh, look at this. And then the next person joined. I God bless my wife as well, and keep her. I promise you the way the wives felt that day was like, ooh, ooh, ooh. I don't mind a diamond ring, but my goodness, you praying for me is worth more than a diamond ring. And I don't mind a new vehicle, but you praying for me, oh my goodness. And you praying for me in public? Ooh. Ooh, come on now. Let me stay G-rated. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that, that's just a level of when you understand the reality when you pray for somebody. And that's because you moved up. Because here's where we have to go. Someone said, where we're going with this? See, where we're going with this is what we call supernatural love. We're going to supernatural love. That's my prayer. That's where God is moving the church. He says, if you're going to change the world, if you're going to make a difference, it can't be out of sinful self-love, and it can't just be some natural love where you go in and out. It has to be supernatural love. Someone shout that. Supernatural love. John chapter 15 verse 9 says this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. This is the key right here. This is it right here. My God, this is it. Jesus now says, abide in my love. Oh, God. Ooh, come on, come on, come on. As the Father has loved me, that's Jesus talking. So I have loved you. He said, if you want to love like Christ, as the Father has loved me, look at Jesus. He's saying, I have a healthy self-image. I know exactly who I am. I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. As the Father has loved me. I have loved you. You can't start relationship until you understand as the father has loved me. Then I love you. Because to love you outside of the father's love is to run the risk of me loving you out of my sinful desire to manipulate because I want something from you. Or out of the natural level that you eventually will fall out of love with you, out of love with me if I say something you don't like. So I'm doing anyway. So if I love you out of my own selfish desire, it's not going to go well. I'll manipulate you. I'll use you. And if I love you out of my own natural stuff, you're going to fall in and out of love with me. And I'm going to do things to get your love. I'm going to risk the value, the standard. Come on, ladies. I'm going to lower my standards. I'm going to take off my list. Because surely, if God loved me, he would give me a man. But because he hasn't, therefore God doesn't love me. And therefore, I'm going to love you like this. And eventually, where you saw me eye to eye, you now will walk all over me. Because I've lowered my standard. And so, Jesus says, oh, i got to hurry. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I loved you. His message to the church, I'm shouting this, not because I know you can't hear me. I'm shouting this because an apostolic called on my life, and he's saying to this church, TGP, he's saying, listen, as the Father has loved you, so I have loved you. As Father's loved me, excuse me, so I have loved you. And here's the key thing. Abide in my love. That's the courageous commitment. It's to abide in his love. And he's saying, here's what you have to do. You have to understand that, that this word love that he says here is the word agape. It is the unconditional, 
sacrificial love that God is, that God shows, and ready that God enables his children to have. He's saying you're not loving well because you're not abiding in love. That is so good. That is so good. So he's saying, listen, look to the cross. That's why I demonstrated my love for you. But I didn't just go to the cross. I was buried in the tomb. And I wasn't just buried in the tomb, but in three days, the stone was rolled back and I raised again. And I lived to make intercession for you. The depth of God's love. You see, this agape love, it's supernatural. It's not based on emotional attraction. It's not based on some sentimental relationship. Agape is not based on just good feelings. No, it's not based on some physical attraction. It's not just based because you're my family. See, that's the thing. You think because you love family, that means you have the agape. No, that's the natural love that a mother has for a child. That's not agape. That's just a natural love. Why? The Bible talks about Solomon and that there was two ladies who had a baby. One died, the other one lived. And so the lady whose baby died, one of the women whose baby was alive, and they bring him, they're arguing, they bring him to Solomon. They say, Solomon, what should we do? And Solomon comes and he says, hey, split the baby in half and give one to her and one to you. And the woman who was the rightful mother says, no, give the whole baby to her. I would rather lose the child, come on, and save its life. But the other one said, watch, that's natural love. That's just natural. A mother and a child, come on. And many of you are crying out to God for your children. But God is saying, don't just stay in the natural, in and out. You got to get to the supernatural love. A love that can't be shaken. A love that abides forever. You got to get to that place where you love your children, love your spouse, love with the place of saying, I abide in love. The other one says, no, kill the baby sinful self-love the other one was saying because my baby died your baby can't live come on we enter relationships just like that where they want you to be destroyed because what they have was destroyed and we must be discerning church we must be discerning so how do you do relationships properly how do you do relationship biblically if you're taking notes write that down Because that's what the world is asking. How do I do relationships biblically and properly as well? And Jesus says, first you got to love like me. You got to enter the supernatural love. So why is it that when I met Magon, and I remember she was on a swing, and we were at her, uh, her uncle's place, and We'd gone for a walk and she was on the swings. I still see it like this. Almost 20 years ago and I'm seeing her on the swing. And I said, honey, I want to make a courageous commitment. I said, before there was you, there was Jesus. And God forbid something happens to you. But I'll still have Jesus. I got to love him more than you. Because I can't love you well if I don't love him completely and deeply. I make that courageous commitment to you. That I got to be a man after God's own heart. I got to be a man who abides in God's love. So there are moments when I know things are rough. I got to go to my knees. And there are times in our marriage 
where I realized, God, I need a supernatural love that only comes from you. And on my knees and I'm praying to God, I'm saying, God, you got to give me the wisdom, the direction. You got you, you to flow through me to get to her. I got to love. She's my neighbor. I got to love her as I love myself. And I need you, God. I need you. I need you. And I said, the second thing, we're going to move to America. Those are two things I told her. <laughs> Since you want to come along, great. But if not, you know what I'm saying? This is the moment now to make your decision of what you're going to do. Church, I knew what it was like to live in sinful self-love. It wasn't good. I manipulated girls. I knew their fragrance. I took advantage of it. God won't let me go so far. God is so good. Listen, man. God only let me go so far. He said, if you touch her, I will kill you. And I would get up and leave. Like, why are you leaving? Is it me? I'm like, no, it's God. I wasn't even a believer. And he would say, you better leave her alone. I was like, okay. And rumors would get back to my friends. Talk about pressure to courageous commitment. They would say, oh my goodness, Rowan, I heard the story. And I'm like, yeah, and I'm trying to, you know, make it sound better because I feel like an idiot right now. But God has said, I'm protecting you. Come on. I am protecting you. Because if you don't see the effects of sin, you will get to that place where you will continue to stay there. And you will normalize what is destructive in your life. And so why do I teach the fragrance of a female? Because I recognize I've been there. And if you live in that place of being damaged, you will bleed out to death, ladies. And so you must, you must have a man who abides in love. That's the only way that you're going to be healed. Not fixed. Healed. Natural love will say, I can fix this. I can work harder. I can do more things. I can give this to you. I can buy all these gifts for you. And it never satisfied because you're not broken. You need to be healed. You're not a project. You're a person. Oh, God. And so we have a broken world. We can't fix them by trying to legislate everything. We've got to love them so they realize the greater law is available. And they'll come to know Jesus while we fix the law. That's how we do it. So anything that we do, it's because we abide in love. Oh my goodness. We have the greatest message. It's the message of Jesus. There's nothing wrong with the message. It's the church has to become the conduit for where that message can flow to the masses of people. And so the issue is not that God doesn't love America. The question is, does America love God? They will never know until we tell them, abide in love. Abide in love. So how do you do relationships correctly? First and foremost, ask the question, are you abiding in love? If they say yes, is it supernatural love? It is. Okay, we're good. We're good. We're good. Because a supernatural love of God is what brings transformation. You become a conduit to flow through. Here's my last thing, and I'm done. Every head by every eyes closed. Here's what it is right now. Look at all your relationships. Look at all your relationships. Father, I pray you bless the businesses in this city. Thanks for reminding me. Bless the business, Lord God. Uh, Those here who are self-employed, bless them, Lord God. Let them love so well that there will be such an attraction to what they do. Bless them now, Lord. Keep them safe from the evil one. Jesus' name. Here it is now, right where you are. Here's the question. I got three minutes. God wants to heal every single one of us. 
He wants to heal us. Because we cannot, that's what the Bible says, what's the greatest commandment? To love your neighbor as you love yourself. And right in there, the issue is not the first commandment. The issue is not the second commandment. The issue is the conduit right in the middle. When Pastor Teresa mentioned that word today, I'm like, God, thank you for the confirmation. He says, it's time for the church to be the conduit of knowing what it means to abide in my love and share that to a world that is desperately hurting and confused and needs to know, is there any hope for me? It's a risk. You've got to be courageous in doing this. That's why it's a campaign. That's why we have to get the word out. That's why we have to say we are going to love like Christ. With your head bowed and your eyes closed. If you are here this morning, you're saying, Pastor Rowe, I've been in an in and out relationship with God. That one minute I'm in, next minute I'm out. One minute I'm in, next minute I'm out. I want to have a relationship that abides in him. That no one can talk me out of my relationship with you anymore, God. That I am abiding in you so that I can love well. If that's you and you're saying, Pastor Rowe, it means I have to give my heart to Jesus. Yes. Those who are watching, you have to give your heart to Jesus. To love well, you have to give your heart to Jesus. Because to love like him requires you to abide in him. So, Father, in Jesus' name, all over this place, all over this place, minister to your people. And I pray for those who need to be healed because they, they, they took their risk. They're, they're in a relationship or perhaps they were in a relationship. But wherever they are, Lord God, I pray that it would not just be a sinful self-love relationship. It would not just be a natural relationship. But let it become a supernatural relationship so truly the world would know that we are disciples. Because your word says, then they will know. All people will know that you are my disciples. Church, will we answer the call? Will we make the choice to be courageous in our commitment to love like Christ? Let him heal you this morning. Don't leave this place broken. Don't leave this place with an in and out relationship. Today, be healed in Jesus' name. Let the Holy Spirit heal you with the love of God. And so, for those of you who are saying, Pastor Rowe, I need a healing that can only come from the love of Jesus. I want to invite you. It's going to be a courageous commitment. I'm going to invite you to the altar. It is 12 o'clock, but I'm going to invite you to this altar to come and to say, I'm going to abide in love regardless of what the situation is. I'm going to abide in the love of God. I need the supernatural love of Christ. That's what I need right now. I don't want to carry this pain anymore. I don't want to carry this affliction anymore. I don't want to become a victim anymore. I want the love of Christ to abide in me. If that's you, I need for you to run to this altar right now and come and say, Jesus, I need for you to heal me because I want to be used by you. I want to love well. I want to love God. He says, God, I can't leave until I know that you are with me and that you abide with me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.